Oh my. Slushy stop. Oh dear, oh dear. Hello and welcome to Slushy Stop. My name is Nathan and I am joined by Alex and Jake. And we are three guys that are going to talk about movies. Specifically, we're starting the series off with Star Wars, a favorite of all of ours. So we are going through each movie one by one, talking about what we like, what we don't like, just having conversations around them, leading up to our grand finale, where we are going to play Star Wars Trivial Pursuit against each other and see who is the Master Jedi, so to say, of Star Wars trivia. So let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I am Nathan Elder. Uh, I have been a Star Wars fan since I was but a wee lad, listening to Star Wars records, you know, s- stories on record, that sort of a thing. I promise I'm not that old, but I guess I'm old enough. <laughs> I'm Jake. I'm only 24, so I'm young compared to these two uh, antiques. Hey, now. But... <laughs> But yeah, same thing. I think my uncle showed me Star Wars. I was like three or four. So some of my earliest memories in life are sitting in my uncle's bedroom while everybody else is watching football. And I was like, I just want to watch Empire Strikes Back over and over and over. So like not like plot points or anything. I just remember X-Wings flying across the surface of the Death Star and the AT-ATs walking toward the the shield generator on Hoth and stuff like that. So it's been with me my entire life. Uh, and I'm Alex Green, and I am the middle of the three brothers. Uh, <laughs> I got interested in Star Wars in 1997-98 when they re-released the original trilogy in theaters, and I got a toy in a Taco Bell kids' meal. It was Cloud City, and it was a magnetized toy and you could set it on this pedestal and cloud city would appear to float and uh, i was enamored so i I started getting into it and bought the movies in a vhs box set and watched them over and over and over and uh, been a been a fan ever since i've never seen those i remember the episode one ones that taco bell had i had one for years of like Tatooine and it opened up and Darth Maul and Qui-Gon fought but I've never seen those that's cool it's because you're a child that's true <laughs> that's true I'm, I'm the only one here that doesn't hate all of the prequels I'm assuming that's correct well we don't know how the pugs feel because they can't properly communicate but that's true uh, as far as as far as humans go yes you are the only one who does not hate the prequels but we'll get to that in a, a late some later episodes Yeah, so I'll take that segue to go back and reiterate that with this Star Wars trivia challenge coming up, what we're doing here is over the next few episodes, we're going to go through uh, episode by episode, Star Wars episode, uh, movie by movie, just kind of giving our thoughts on them, talking about them leading up to the grand finale. So we're going to start with the original trilogy, you know, the way that they were released as some would say, the true order of the movies. I I would say that. Concur. So we're going to start with Star Wars, A New Hope. Also known as Star Wars. 
very simply Star Wars. Yes, and the, the original theatrical release, it was just Star Wars. Yeah, even when I speak to older people sometimes, like, I just call it Star Wars. I don't say A New Hope. And they're, they'll, like, older dudes will be like, you mean A New Hope? And I'm like, you're the one that's supposed to understand this. Everybody my <laughs> age doesn't get it. You're supposed to, and you don't. Why, what, why are you the way that you are? Well, it's because you've been shamed by this generation and it's uh it's prequels and it's uh also because george lucas continues to change things uh which is another point but true yes i'm sure our ire for some of those changes will come up even in this episode so let's talk about let's let's just talk about i guess the beginning of star wars um because obviously it's iconic opening scroll leading down to the star destroyer chasing the uh, blockade runner um all of that and i mean basically so i guess to put this back into perspective to prepare for this episode i was the one who sat down rewatched the movie and was taking notes so you might hear me get accused of being the organized one of the bunch um somebody has to be that's true that is true and so in upon taking my notes i realized that in the beginning of the movie basically for the first like five or six minutes the only dialogue we get is from c-3po everything else that's a gay robot (laughs) (laughs) yes yes if you want to have a fun time watch star wars and just imagine everything that c-3po says he says it as a sassy gay robot (laughs) Oh, this oil bath is going to be so so good. (laughs) Go that way. (laughs) Well, so I began watching them last night, um, or began watching A New Hope last night with the commentary. I've never watched it before with the commentary. And a point that Lucas made in the commentary was that he wanted to tell the bulk of the story from the robot's perspective, which... I'd never really thought about because once you get to Luke, the perspective very much shifts to him, but there are very few scenes that R2 or 3PO, one of the other aren't in. And I mean, even when you get to the end with the Death Star fight and you're cutting back and forth from, you know, that fight to Leia in the, uh, you know, the command room or whatever you want to call it, like 3PO's with her, R2's with Luke. So one of those two are always there. Yeah. The longest part that you have is that section on the Death Star when they kind of abandon the droids in that control room and go off on their own adventure for a little bit. Although, yes, they do revisit them through the comlink, but those you do have your longest stretches there where they don't have a presence in the movie. Yeah, but like a good portion of the movie is told sort of through their through their eyes or at least has them as a sort of focal point. And he, he made the point that as he was explaining this to, I guess, the executives and whomever else that they told him that you know it would never work because those were side characters but he was determined and so that's that's the the way that he went and i think that benefits the movie a lot because you're not just jumping in straight into humans because humans are obviously you know the the centerpieces of the films but they're not really the center of this universe like the whole point of this universe is all these different futuristic you know aliens and Uh, droids and what have you so i think it's cool to jump straight into that and sort of it i think it acclimates you to the world more than if you jumped 
straight into humans and then all of a sudden like a, a droid pops up it's like oh whoa those those are here whereas if you start with that you, that's just what you expect all along so when an alien pops up it's not really a surprise so you just use the word futuristic which is absolutely like the right word to use here but you know exactly what i'm about to ask does anybody know why it's set a long time ago And was that like, was that like a revolutionary thing at that time for, you know, a movie about spaceships and space travel to be set in the past instead of in the future? So, yes, sort of, because a big focal point of Lucas is when he was making the film, which you'll notice, you know, if you watch um, pretty much any other sci-fi movie ever. Uh, everything is always, you know, super nice and clean, often, you know, bright white and shiny and whatever. And then you watch Star Wars and everything is very worn. Like the universe is very lived in. And that was a big thing for him is he wanted to make a movie where you have this futuristic technology. And, you know, it is very science fiction, but the world isn't, you know, this some utopia or whatever. It's it's almost grounded and realistic in the sense of like, you know, when, when a, a door slides open on a, on a ship, you know, you hear the, like the creaking or the sliding or whatever, where the doors hinges have rusted and whatever. And you, you get to like Tatooine and whatever, and the place is filthy. So I think that's probably why he went with a long time ago because it shows age like this universe has been around for a long time once we get to it you know it's it's already seen some things well then here i'll pose a question though um is that it, it does it mean the long a long time ago is that from our perspective and our timeline or is that from the timeline of the star wars universe hmm that's a good question yeah i've never thought about that because, yes, we all assume that it means it's a long time ago in our timeline. However, right. we could be watching this as if we are already in that Star Wars universe and that within it, all this is happening a long time ago, which means you could have. So what's a long time ago for them could be our present day, our future, any of those sorts of well, things. That's a good question because of, you know, George Lucas modeled star wars after a spaghetti western mm-hmm. um which of course was a long time ago so you, you watch westerns and you go like that's the world we live in but just a long time ago so that actually makes sense i've never i've never thought about it but that could be what he was going for so that you're supposed to be watching this as a contemporary of the same place different time and this is mm-hmm. this is a western um so like that's a that's a really interesting point so I guess you're supposed to be watching it as a resident of the same universe, just in a modern, like, less gunslinging, people literally being shot in a bar time. Yes, it's as if you exist after episode nine or whatever, uh, yeah. however many more they're going to make, and you're just going back, like you said, like it's a Western or something like that, just taking a look into the past. And can we... Can we, I don't want to take this thing off the rails immediately, but with that in mind, think about like Force Awakens and Last Jedi and how like you've, by this point, you've totally lost that Western feel. And that even happens to the original trilogy. 
But for me personally, A New Hope is my favorite of all the movies, and I think that's why, because it's it's a swashbuckling, linear adventure. It's easy to wrap your mind around. And from a storytelling perspective, it, it's very clean. And um, it does have that, it's it's a it's a John Wayne movie. That's definitely part of why it's so appealing because you have Luke who represents, you know, just this like redneck farm kid that all he wants to do is ride around in his T-16 and shoot womp rats and that sort of a thing. <laughs> like, I almost feel like if you were making it in the modern day, he'd have kind of a southern twang to it, but I don't know if that's just me being, you know, partial to the fact that I've grown up in the south, but... Right. Uh, well, and, and I mean, it's literally like a desert, just like a Western movie. It's a desert. The setting is a, for most of the movie, is the desert. And uh, you, know, you have the bar fight. You have little gunslingers and Han Solo. and Yeah. Talking about that spaghetti Western style, the movie is very much edited that way as well, uh, which, I mean, I'd known that all along anyway, but having that thought in mind and going back and watch the movie, you can really... You can see that much more clearly. Like, you know, Star Wars is known for having the the wipe transitions, which even when Star Wars was, even when it came out, that was still kind of retro and outdated or whatever. But hmm. it, it goes with that, you know, whole spaghetti Western theme in that every time you see one of those wipe transitions, that would mark the end of one one episode or whatever of those of those spaghetti things and then you know when when the next shot comes up that would be the beginning of the next episode lucas said once again on that blu-ray the commentary for the blu-ray that you know he he wrote it as though it would be um a series of those spaghetti films put together into one one big cohesive piece so yeah every time you see one of those wipes you know that that sort of symbolizes the start of a new one so I think the first one in the film is after 3PO and R2 have landed uh, on Tatooine in the skate pod mm. and it you know it wipes and then you just see them walking through the sand with the pod in the background <laughs> yeah and then the next one after that if I remember correctly is when you know Luke goes and eats with Baru and Owen and then, you know, gets all all angsty and mad and goes out and stares into the sun until he doesn't go blind somehow. Um, Looks like I'm going nowhere. Yeah, and then he goes back and finds 3PO and R2's gone and whatever, and they go out and look for them for him, and they, he says, you know, we'll have to wait till morning and whatever, and boy, am I going to get it, and then it, it cuts to black, and then the next thing is Owen getting up the next morning. And that sort of would sort of symbolize the start of another episode of one of those as well. Ah, oh, so, I did not know that. Yeah, it's very much divided into sections like that. It's it's edited like a normal movie, but then it's also not. Yeah, it's funny. So I guess to kind of go back and talk about who we are for a second here, you know, you've got a couple of guys here that are, you know, went to went to film school, communications, that sort of a thing. And you got another guy that he's also a creative type. So there's definitely going to be some skewing in the way that we read these movies. Definitely going to incorporate more of that on a filmmaking aspect into it. Um, yeah, because like the technical side of it is interesting to me, but it's not the thing I notice. Um, so that's that's a good point because I was always captivated by the storytelling 
of Star Wars and the the universe building and just the history. But one thing that I find fascinating about it that was so genius of Lucas is to build this universe that's so big because obviously, you know, you can you can go online as I'm sure all three of us have done. You can watch hours worth of YouTube videos. You can read Wikipedia or Wikipedia page after Wikipedia page. And uh, yes, yeah, so that's a very good point. I, uh, I've always been more about the, you know, like I said, Han, Leia, and Luke each represented these virtues uh, that as a kid, you know, Nate, you and I have talked a lot about how media affects you as a kid, whether you realize it or not. And it's setting certain standards um, that you that you subconsciously decide that you want to try to meet. And for me, it was like I, I wanted to be as good as Luke and as courageous as Leia, but yet also as cool as Han Solo. Um, and those are the things that when I think about Star Wars, those are the things that stick out to me is the, the virtue of those characters. And as cute as Chewie. And as as like threatening, but like actually nice as Chewie. Yeah, big teddy bear. Like I will rip your arm off. I can rip your arm if, off, if, but I'm not going. If you to. beat me in space chess, I'll rip your arm off. But if you just let me win, everything's gonna be fine. Or as we noticed, sitting in the cantina with his mouth open, just like <laughs> mouth breathing. Also, Chewie. Let's talk for a second. I don't want to go off the rails here, but Chewbacca like is the guy who sets everything in motion like he's the one that obi-wan talks to at the bar he's the one who's like yeah you know we could probably help you out like without chewbacca who knows they might have gone with that like greasy looking dude so that being said i've never really thought about that do you think that you know once now that we've seen you know we've had revenge of the sith it's been out for many years and everyone has seen the the quick little moment with Chewie interacting with Yoda. And we find out, you know, that it actually is Chewie because he says, you know, goodbye, Chewbacca, or whatever. What if... Goodbye, wh- Tarful. <laughs> goodbye, Chewbacca. What if, what, if, what if Chewie recognizes, like, Obi-Wan's... The lightsaber? Yeah, he, the lightsaber or, you know, the way that he dresses or something. And be like, that's a Jedi. And he remembers Yoda... And that's why he's immediately like, "Yep, I'm not even gonna ask Han. Like, we we got you." Because I don't I don't feel that's like a, I don't feel like Chewie's as he's not as much of a mercenary as as Han is. No, he's he's like a royal. Yeah, you know, he's like he's like a, a noble, uh, a high blooded type guy. Yeah. Chewie's basically just like a the way Lucas puts it is he's a you know a giant dog flying a spaceship. So he very much has like simple pleasures you know he's always thinking with his he's always thinking with his stomach as han would say so yeah like you know he doesn't you know he's he's giving people hugs left and right and like you know they're wandering around the the woods of indoor trying not to scratches him behind the ear (laughs) exactly so like he's he doesn't care about money as long as you feed him and give him attention i think chewie would be perfectly satisfied he's you know, much like these these two pugs that are laying on my bed right now. <laughs> That's a really good point. Like Chewie is definitely a paragon type figure. Like only ever a good guy. Like only a good guy throughout the whole series. And you're right. I mean, you don't forget. You don't forget that like Jedi fight with these laser swords. And uh, having been that personally acquainted with Yoda, Chewie. Wookiees are a long-lived species, correct? 
Yeah, so like I'm, at the time of Solo, Chewie's supposed to be like three hundred and something, or I don't know. Yeah, so like he's plenty. By the time a, a New Hope rolls around, like he's a he's a mature adult. He's going to be able to put those dots, connect those dots, and be like, "This, this is uh, this is a guy that we probably need to help." Exactly. That's a really good point. That's really interesting. And then Han's like, "What can they pay?" <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't feel like Chewie gets enough love. I mean, even even after they blow up the Death Star, he's the one that doesn't get a medal. Like they just they That's just true. tossed him some dog treats and he was fine. He didn't he didn't care. And I know that you know we haven't gotten anywhere. We we're doing exactly what we said we didn't want to do. We're getting stuck on the first thirty minutes of the movie. <laughs> but like with R two D two and three PO winding up in possession of Luke Skywalker. I mean, was this a total coincidence? Supposedly, according to canon, was that a coincidence or was it some sort of intentional on R2's part? Does, does he know? Because his memory is not erased, correct? That is correct. Yeah, I mean, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, you hear Bail Organa say, have the protocol droid's memory wiped, but you, he does not say anything about R2. Right. So we're, I guess, maybe we're meant to assume that, I don't know, astromechs just don't, remember things in the same way i don't know i have this con i have this conflict within myself all the time it's one of those one of those things that happens that you go well that's awfully convenient but then at the same time you go well if that didn't happen then there would have been no story in the first place right yeah it's like how convenient that they wind up being with the son of anakin skywalker it's like well no that's what a story is a story is when something like that happens like without that the movie doesn't happen so you know that's kind of a which, which Lucas himself did say, uh, the droids are very much the MacGuffin of this movie. They're what, yeah, you know, they're they're what the Empire is looking for. So they're, you know, they're the cargo, the ones that are being transported, the the object that they want to attain. So, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, R two though didn't have control over when the uh, Star Destroyer was going to catch up to the blockade runner. You know what planet they were going to be over what part of the planet they were going to land on, things like that. So, Oh, clearly. Okay. And, and I'm glad you say that because I've always wondered why didn't Vader go down to the planet himself? And it's because we now know that Vader vows to never set foot on Tatooine again. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's wearing all that black and, like, dude, it's hot down there. How much of, well, <laughs> just think, like, if you're Darth Vader, how much of, like, how much of a, a wrench in your stomach does it create when you're, like, they're like, yeah, the, they were droids probably stole the plans and they just took an escape pod they jettisoned down to the surface oh okay well what what planet is down there and someone's like oh that's tatooine sir like oh dad gibbet (laughs) (laughs) like the the one the one planet in the whole galaxy i've sworn i'll never set foot on again and that's where we happen to be like he has to know at that point like it's working against him yeah i mean it's, it's definitely a little convenient but I don't know. I, th- I just tell myself that you know Luke was was coincidence. R two ended up there. They were going to Tatooine to to pick up Ben because Bail Organa had contacted him and oh, they, they needed right. his help. That's right. And so yeah, Luke. They did. They just sort of happened across Luke in my mind at least. And R 2s sole intention was was getting to Obi Wan, whom what? he would know, assuming that he you know Astromex have a memory. Of that, I, that uh, of that kind, 
That was really stupid of me because, of course, you're right. They were. It's not a coincidence that they were at Tatooine. They were there to pick up Ben. So one could assume, though, that if they went down there to pick up Obi-Wan Kenobi, he'd be like, oh, yeah, um, I can do that. But actually, there's this kid. It's a long story, but there's this kid I got to go kidnap before we can go. <laughs> By the yeah, way, Leia, like, you might recognize him. Just like hang out here at my like <laughs> little Adobe hut. I'll be right back. Yeah, when you see him, don't you know have love at first sight or anything like that. Yeah, don't yeah. kiss him. Yeah, you, you, you might have spent a, a few brief moments in a room together many many moons ago. <laughs> uh, Nate's favorite thing about A New Hope is all the all the dinosaur creatures that were added in the special editions. Oh, yes. So let me go on record to say that I'm a purist when it comes to the Star Wars original trilogy. I have copies of the Laserdisc versions of those movies that I prefer to watch that have no added CGI or other crap that they did. Even though, For I'll admit... For all under the age of 40, a Laserdisc is a giant DVD. Thank you. Basically. I was about to ask because I've heard of laser discs, but I've never seen one. <laughs> um, even though I will admit, I do appreciate the special editions because those were the ones that I first saw in theater, which you know cemented my love for Star Wars. However, I just hate with a capital H all of the crap that has happened to the movies uh, since they came out. And yes, the giant freaking lizards that walk in front of the camera, obscuring you from the main subject. I mean, it was just excessive. However, I will admit, having gone back and watched the special editions again this time, there are some places where it was an improvement, primarily in the uh, final battle around the Death Star. Um, To me, it seems like they really focused on cleaning up that section and making it look good, which is why it's so much better. But yeah, just cramming in a bunch of CGI for the sake of CGI just irks me every time. Um, and it was interesting. I was watching um, a video um, by Patrick H. Willems. Um, if you don't, if you don't follow him, he he has some interesting stuff, and he was talking about how part part of why some of that CGI stuff is so distracting and out of place is because a lot of the movie is shot you know on tripods very locked down the occasional dolly shot here and there and that's really about it it's very simple filmmaking but it works great for this type of movie however then you cut to some of these cgi scenes like specifically the one where you're first coming into moss island you've got this sweeping crane shot coming over the city and everything and just the camera movement and everything is so out of place by comparison. I mean, it just sticks out like a sore thumb in addition to all of the CGI. So, uh, yes. So I, I, I feel much better now that I've gotten that out of my system, uh, but I can't make any promises that I won't chime back in again. So the, the sky shot over Moss Eisley, I do agree with because even me, you know, I think the first, I think when I first saw Star Wars, it was, you know, the original theatrical cut. That's what my uncle had. But the first copies that I owned were the special editions. So for me, all that stuff's been there all along. 
you know, I just don't, mm. rem- that's just the way I remember it. But I will say, yeah, that, that sweeping sky shot of, of Moss Eisley looks more like it belongs in Phantom Menace. And for that matter, I think there's a, a shot almost exactly like that in Phantom Menace. So it does sort of pull you out for a minute and like, wait, how would they have done that in 77? But as far as just the stuff in the background, I don't mind it. But again, I'm 24. I'm I'm not the... I'm not as much of a purist, I guess, because that's the these are the ones that I grew up with. That's yeah. right. You grew up with the prequels. Well, so you're tainted to us. But but it's also too Shame. like Shame. I don't I don't have this hatred of George Lucas that everyone else does. I understand the mistakes that he made and I I do begrudge him a bit for those. But he's impacted me I'm going to say, I won't say more, but just as much as like my parents have like this, that's how much these movies matter to me. So it is important to me that this movie ends up the way that he envisioned it to be originally. And if this is what he wants, then I'm, I'm going to respect that. But isn't, but aren't the, the, the small imperfections part of the character? I mean, like as someone who just as, uh, as a metaphor, like as someone who just bought a house, like I bought an old house and definitely there are things imperfect about it, but that's part of the charm of it. Like, and I would say the same thing about a car, same thing about like a guitar, the small imperfections are part of what makes it, it, it's part of the charm. And, and it's like, it's not the same to go back and fix those things because it, like you don't, you don't buy a house built in 1950. Don't buy a house built in 1950. But you don't buy a house built in 1950 to have a house built in 2018. And I think that's one thing that George Lucas like underestimated about fans is, and 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 then you but you enter into a, a really interesting conversation about though who owns Star Wars at that point. And I feel very conflicted as like a creator, a creative person. And someone who has created content, I understand why he feels like that's his thing. But at something like Star Wars, like you could always, you could also make the argument that it now belongs to the fans. It belongs to people. It belongs to the people. So I think that's where like he underestimates that relationship. Um, and maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm putting words in his mouth. But it's like I feel like he's surprised by the ire of people when he changes things. And it's like, but. But those small things, those little things, like Aunt Baru saying, "Tell Uncle, if he buys a you know interpreter, make sure it speaks Bocce or whatever." Like, yeah, it's a little weird, but like it's part of that Star Wars, the Great Dragon Call. It's weird, <laughs> but like, but whatever. It's funny the points that the points that you're bringing up, Alex. Those were actually explored in this uh, great documentary that came out a few years ago called the people versus George Lucas and explores that very question of, you know, when does art, you know, transcend the creator's control and becomes, you know, part of the greater uh, consciousness, so to say, you know, when, when does it become basically, yeah, everyone's, when, when does everybody have the right to it and have a voice in what is and isn't right about it? And because Star Wars is per- the perfect example of it, I catch myself all the time being like, "Oh, George, why in the world would he have done this?" And like he ruined this. But then at the same time, I feel like that's well, kind of his thing. Like 
I don't feel like I get to. And the question, like, would I do that with a musician? Would I be like, man, like Mumford and Sons, really? I, they've ruined everything. It's like, well, no, they, they're artists. They have the right to be creative and to change things, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, like, like I already said, you know, I, it is important to me that the movie, the movie ends up the way that Lucas originally envisioned it. So, you know, I don't, some of the CGI is obviously questionable. There's some of it that even I don't like, but most of it, I will give a pass because that's how he originally intended it. But I also will agree, you know, at, I, I think Lucas very much, obviously now, I mean, surely he understands the impact that, that this movie had on the entire planet. But I mean, those like us that will spend our afternoons after working all day, you know, take time out of our our busy lives to sit here and talk about this movie for however long. Um, you know, we obviously value this thing, you know, to a, to a higher degree than most people. And I think he sort of underestimates that, and he still very much thinks of it as you know, this is his thing. It's the way he wants it, and sort of. I don't want to say he doesn't respect the relationship that we have with it, but I, I, I don't know that he fully can grasp the, the degree to which we feel about this movie. And, and part of me says, well, can anybody, but then I look at someone like JK Rowling and like, she is someone who I think, and I don't, I don't want to turn this into a Harry Potter podcast, but, um, she's someone who I think does get that though. Um, for sure. It's like, sure. I see a different reverence toward fan toward the fans from her than I do from like someone like George Lucas. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it. Uh, I mean, I'll admit I'm kind of jaded, but a lot of the times I kind of interpret the actions of George Lucas is as that of, you know, coming from a place of greed. Cause you have a lot of cases where, you know, Ever since he got those toy rights to the for the first movie and everything, he's been all about you know making that money off of them, um, and that's why you've had you know a falling out with Gary Kurtz and I mean there there's a lot of evidence that we can get into and and maybe that's something we can get into for a later podcast. But uh, I'll admit, like I said, a lot of it I, I I kind of see it as just coming from greed, and that's why even like all these changes that happen, it's like oh. Yeah, let's make some changes so we can release a new version and try to make more money off of this. Uh, that you know, George Lucas almost views the fans as this cow that he's just milking for everything he can get, as opposed to a J.K. Rowling who sees it as this culture that you know that she's sharing all of this with. That you know, she she sees all of the. Uh, theories and things like that and either supports them or denies them uh she's one-on-one with her fandom whereas george lucas you know he's very much just above them it it feels like at times yeah he's very distant whereas i mean granted he's of a totally different time i mean george lucas is at this point pushing 80 i mean he's like late 70s um jk rowling's 50s i think and um she you know she has a very active twitter presence and you know if if a fan tweets something that you know a theory or something like that and she happens to see it and she likes it i mean she will very like won't hesitate to retweet that maybe even add 
commentary of her own to that. So, yeah, that is, that's a very good point. She's she very much understands the degree to which these those those books and films have impacted people, and I don't know that Lucas really really gets that, and I don't know if he really wants to either. You know, Lucas is kind of if you watch an interview with him, especially now with his with his age, he has a certain social awkwardness to him. So I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, if he were to meet someone like me and I mean, straight up, if I met George Lucas tomorrow, I don't know that I could have a conversation with him because I would actually just cry my eyes out, just overcome with emotion. And I don't know if that's something that he would be comfortable with i guess oh, 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 thank, you, thank you very much yeah like i don't, I don't think it, he would he would really grasp you know the, the gravity of my situation because i mean like when episode seven came out i saw it in the theater five times and every single time when that opening scroll started i teared up like and even watching it on blu-ray for the first time after i bought it after i'd already seen it in the theater five times I teared up because it's like this has finally happened and like this matters so much to me. Yeah. Like that it, it gets me and this is sort of a recent thing that I've noticed in just the last few years. Maybe it's just, you know, I'm I'm now in my mid twenties and I've realized I'm not getting any younger, so I'm getting more nostalgic and so, you know, Star Wars just gets me more emotional than a lot of other things. Well, and to that point, I would say like today not literally today but like even even now at, at 28 definitely part of it and let's just say it for what it is like it's a it's a boys movie like a new hope that's a movie for for young men um and i i think that's one thing that's so endearing about it is we can there are so many things about that movie that i think boys relate to and that boys can aspire to um even in the leia character um but even to like at this point in my life at 28 years old there are certain moments from the film that when i see them but more importantly i think when i hear the score it takes me back to you know being eight years old and on a summer day sitting in front of the you know the tube television with the the you know vhs eating a bologna sandwich like um and and nostalgia is definitely a big part of it even for us and that's one of the genius things about star wars it's like i'm 28 the movie came out in 1977 and i feel nostalgic i have nostalgia about these movies yeah for for a 41 year old movie that was you know it was out long before you were even thought of so yeah, I, I, I will agree with that point. I yeah, mean, I'm, it's crazy. The, the movie's almost twice as old as I am. And, you know, but by the time I saw it for the first time, it had probably been re-released, I don't know, by that point, two or three times. Um, and it doesn't really make sense that I would get nostalgic for a movie that old because I wasn't around when it originally came out. But that just speaks to how timeless a story it is with you know, all of the different things that these characters represent and, you know, just this world that George Lucas. So, so speaking of that, let's, let's kind of dive into that history a little bit about how, you know, obviously when this movie came out, it was meant to just be a standalone. I mean, yes, George Lucas had hopes that it would take off and, 
you know, lead to greater things. He had he already had plans for future episodes and everything. But what I found interesting going back uh, watching the movie this last time is I definitely took notes of different times where they kind of allude to this larger world that either does get played out in the other movies or doesn't. Um, so, like, for example, back at, you know, the beginning of the movie, going, going back to the first 30 minutes again, um, when you have that first exchange between Vader and Leia, he says something to the extent of, you know, you're not going to get away with it this time. Essentially, you know, alluding to the fact that, you know, they've been doing this dance for a while. Yeah. This isn't just the first time they're meeting. Like, he's been hunting her in the rebellion for a while, so they have a history there. Um, similarly, later on, uh, you know, you have Tarkin and uh, Tarkin and Vader talking, uh, and Tarkin says something about how, well, Obi-Wan, like, uh, shouldn't he be dead by now? Basically making it seem like Obi-Wan should be a lot older than just, you know, how old is he supposed to be in episode, uh, in episode four? Because it takes place, what, 20 years after episode three in episode three he's like what 30 40 we're never really told i don't think maybe in some of the books it's somewhere but yeah i mean a new hope is 19 years after revenge of the sith in revenge of the sith i think when we were talking about it the other day we we figured out that anakin's about 24 so it's probably to be assumed that at that point obi-wan's at least 33 34 i mean when he takes on anakin He's probably, you know, in his twenties. Well, but then, but then looking at Alec Guinness, he doesn't—he doesn't necessarily look like no, a fifty-year-old either. He though. looks way old, at least in his sixties. Yeah, so either he's like just looks very rough for his fifties, or he's in his sixties. So for Tarkin to well, be he, like, he has—he has just spent nineteen years in the desert, and you know that sun's not going to be—it's it, a murder to his skin. That's true, but don't <laughs> underestimate the power of the Force. And the collagen healing factor. Um, well, anyways, you, but you, you think you think there's like a, a sunscreen power that you can just meditate and it'll the force will act as sunscreen for you and it'll iron the wrinkles out for you. That's he's <laughs> like Tom Brady and he just drinks lots of water <laughs> and gets plenty of sleep. He gets plenty of sleep. Yeah, you know, regimented <laughs> meals. He's ageless. So uh, Obi Wan. It's from the Stujan system. It is a terrestrial planet, an atmosphere that allowed humans to breathe oxygen comfortably. Are, are we sure this is canon or is this legend? This is Wikipedia. Okay. <laughs> so that's questionable. Hey, hey. The world had a climate that supported the growth of grass. Shout, shout out to those administrators of Wikipedia, though. I've spent so many hours on there reading about side characters that ultimately don't matter. Obi-Wan Kenobi. My personal favorite character from this entire franchise. From all of them? All of them? Yeah, from all of them. Obi-Wan's always been my favorite. Um, as a oh, child, wow. I think it was simply my favorite color's blue and his lightsaber's blue. Um, but yeah, once you, you know, you, you see him as a young person in, in Phantom Menace and you don't get much of them and he's, yeah. he's sort of... You know, he's the one that tells Qui-Gon, you know, he's, he's more nervous about training Anakin. He's more reserved and, um, and, you know, maybe just to be fair, but he does royally screw it up. Yeah. But you know, then you, you get to, to episodes two and three and he's, he's very much, he's, he's less of a father figure than he is like a big brother. 
almost. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't have an older brother, uh, but I, I am an older brother. So maybe I just related to him in that way. Or, huh. you know, maybe it was just, you know, I always kind of wanted a brother in a way. So maybe, you know, sort of found that in Obi-Wan. I don't know. But, yeah, something about his character I've just I've always loved. And I don't know that I could pinpoint one single thing. Interesting. I definitely I like his lightsaber hilt the most, but the ball, the little ball yeah, at the end. Yeah, and I hate when like you get to episode three and he has he ends up having you know the one from A New Hope, which I mean is cool because that's the one he was supposed to have all along. But yeah, like the one from episode one and then the one in cool. episode two is very very similar, and yet yeah, it has that stupid little ball with the the stud things around it, and it looks completely impractical. But I've always liked it. Nate, who is your uh, I don't. Is your favorite character from the franchise in A New Hope? Oh, you know what? Honestly, I haven't even, uh, you know, outside of like the obvious love for Luke and everything, it's, I haven't really sat down to think about who my favorite character is, in all honesty. Luke may be my favorite character, but he's just so boring in like episode six like here's the thing about luke like put yourself in the shoes of this guy who's grown up in like the worst place in the galaxy i has to be wondering all the time like who are my mom and dad like what happened to him what i know my dad died what about my mom like all this other stuff he literally goes from being an absolute nobody to an empire like his dad rules the freaking galaxy with an iron fist like the Literally. biggest baddest <laughs> scary dude in the in the galaxy and like luke goes from being a the poorest of the poor to he could live the life of royalty and like join his dad whom you know he's he, he's got to be pursuing got to have this lifelong quest for a father and yet chooses not to because Obi-Wan Kenobi said he's bad. And uh, granted, he did, he did burn his aunt and uncle. Um, but it's just, you know, I've always felt like Luke, for all the crap that we give him, like that, I, I hope in a situation like that, I would be as good as Luke is, I guess is what I'm saying. As cheesy as that is. And it, uh, but I've always just admired that character so much because he's a guy... He's a guy who has everything to gain from joining the Empire, like, and chooses not to instead. All right, well, let's go ahead and leave some time here for final thoughts uh, about Episode Four, Star Wars. These movies have been around for so long because they're not... It's not just something that you go experience and walk away and forget about. It's something that stays with you and 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 uh, elicits conversations and, you know, because it just creates this big galaxy that's worth exploring. So do, do you guys, if you had to pick one, do you have a favorite scene from this movie? Man, it's hard not to choose Luke staring at the binary sunset. I mean that's well yeah, I mean as far as shots go like that's that's the obvious favorite for me 
as far as shots, it would be yeah, that one or, you know, probably probably that that opening one of, you know, when you first pan down and the Tantive four flies through and then the mass of the Star Destroyer, you know, goes is right behind it. And you just see how like, wow, that is these guys do not have a chance. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's beautiful and it it shows the gravity of the, the situation. You know, the, the rebels are sort of this this fleeting force trying to fight this massive shrinking into the distance. Yeah. Trying to fight this massive, you know, dictatorship that they really don't stand a chance against until. Yeah. Redneck farm boy comes from nowhere and blows a hole in their big old ship. (laughs) Well, this one I do have an answer for. Uh, I'd have to say, I mean, it's not just one scene, but I guess basically once once uh, Han and Han, Luke and Chewie show up there in the in the detention block, AA twenty three. Uh, yes, and they just just basically from there forward until. Gosh, I mean, if I have to, if I have to shorten it down, probably just that whole that whole thing in the detention block before they get into the trash compactor. But even even some of that beyond the trash compactor. Um, Right up until, yeah, really that that whole escape sequence is just, I mean that that's what the whole movie is about. Because I know I know Alex, you talk about how the movie is so swashbuckling and this grand adventure and everything, and I and I feel like that those sequence of events really highlight that aspect of the film. I mean that's where you have, I mean you have such a great blend of action and comedy. Uh, I mean, you have the literal scene where the hero swings across the the chasm with the beautiful yeah. girl on his arm and everything, like, like as a, the music swells, like a pirate movie. Like this belongs in Peter Pan. It's so wonderful, and they're wearing the stormtrooper belts. This is a tough question for me, but I think the closest I can get to is the sequence of Han Chewie the droids Luke and Obi-Wan leaving Moss Eisley like the the ominous music as a like the long nosed guy is like tracking them down and there's this awesome tension of like you're like in the audience like come on go like you gotta go you gotta go Mm -hmm. and then like I love the Luke the Luke I love the look on Han's face when the first stormtroopers like pop around that doorway it's like and he's like that's that's the Han Solo that I know and love, like like blaster drawn, you know, arm yeah. straight out, blaster drawn. Yeah, and you see kid, his eyes get wide and everything, and yeah, Chewie, get us out of here! <laughs> um, you know, sprinting down the hallway, those round hallways. I used to, you know, those, those tiny things, the the round hallways, and then like Obi Wan and Luke and the and three PO buckling uh, seat buckling their seat buckles. Um, and then as a kid, I used to just watch it over and over again. I would rewind it. Kids, rewinding on VHS was much easier than rewinding on DVD. But I would rewind and watch over and over again. It was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. When the Millennium Falcon rises vertically out of the docking bay, mm-hmm. it rises vertically and then turns and... And then that music... What's that flashing? I think that's my favorite sequence of the whole movie. Like... Leaving Moss Eisley, um, 
and then that you know that quick dialogue between like like Luke resents Han Han resents Luke Obi-Wan's just like please don't get us killed um I love that sequence I love it you see them that's the first time we see the Millennium Falcon also like that's what mm-hmm. you got to remember that first time you ever see it and I was just like that is the coolest thing I've ever seen so I'm going to piggyback off that and this might be a little early might have to save the rest of this conversation for the prequels but that was another thing that i was noticing in this movie is yeah that relationship you get between han and luke even in this movie where they've just met and everything you can see a budding relationship between them yeah yeah. um, for sure during that scene and then of course later on after you know they they escape the the death star and everything they're having that little exchange about leia like there's this kind of, you know, brotherly back and forth going on that I would argue you never, maybe not never, but you don't get the same kind of brotherly back and forth in the prequels with yep. like uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. Theirs is a little more condescending and almost almost tense. father-son. It's tense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I feel like that's what they, they were trying to go for brotherly, but it didn't work out. And that we, yeah, when you see Luke and Luke and Han together, it really makes it that much more apparent. Well, and to, that's a great point. And I would say, I think the stakes though, are what make it different. Like with Luke and Han, the stakes are a pretty girl. Like they're fighting over the pretty girl. Wherein like Anakin and Obi-Wan are fighting over whether like it's more idealistic. Things. Yeah, and like they're fighting about whether the literal leader of the galaxy is a Sith Lord. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I felt the stakes are the stakes are so real and relatable in A New Hope. Um, and like that's exactly how these two guys would react. That's exactly how these two guys would act toward one another. Like, shut up, kid. You don't know anything. Well, I, actually, I'm a pretty good pilot. I love that. That's one thing. One of the things I love so much about A New Hope is the the development of the Han and Luke relationship where like Han is very much the kid who rides a motorcycle to school and smokes cigarettes under the bleachers <laughs> and like introduces like the guy, he takes Luke under his wing a little bit. Like, dude, like you're so uncool. Um, yeah. But let me help you. Well, and, and sort of on that topic, you know, once again, back to that, that Blu-ray commentary, uh, Lucas makes the point that, his favorite scene or one of them in the movie is when they first land on the death star and you know, the Han, Luke, Chewie, Ben and the droids get to, uh, you know, whatever that like control room thing is that the droids end up staying in. And you know, that's, that's the only time that in the movie that really Luke and Han get any, any one-on-one interaction and you see the dynamic between them, you know, it's, you know, between his screaming and you blasting everything, it's a wonder they don't know the, that the whole station doesn't know we're here. And then after after Ben leaves, it's, where did you dig up that old fossil? And they're arguing that's back and forth. That's a great man. Great yeah. getting us into trouble. <laughs> yeah. So you that's the only scene in the movie, really, until, you know, after Hans collected his reward and is about to take off on them. That, and then, you know, they have that one quick moment. Um, but, yeah, that's the only one that you really get any of that dynamic in this movie. And then, of course, it, you know, it builds over the course of the others. But even even in Empire, I mean, they don't – and Jedi, too. Like, they don't really have a lot of on-screen time with one another. 
So that's one of the only times in the entire trilogy that you really see them interact on that level. But but you you definitely see that bond forming there. It's it's very much like uh, a brotherly thing, but it's not at the same time. It's yeah, it's very much like the cool kid at school making friends with like the dork, like reluctantly making friends. Even. Yeah, which is why it's so rewarding though when you fast forward to like Return of the Jedi and you mm-hmm. have them you know on that. Uh, uh, that sand skip or whatever it is, yeah, the sail barge, uh, and and they're having their their conversation there with each other. And Han, yeah, still thinks he's just the same kid from Tatooine that's just back home. Yeah. Whereas Luke knows he's matured and grown, and he's getting ready to show him up and yeah. and does so. A well, Jedi and, Knight, and and once you get to Empire, though, you you begin to see sort of a different side of Han. I mean, obviously you get it a little bit when he comes back and, you know, blows Vader out into space so Luke can blow up the Death Star, but like for someone who began this relationship so reluctantly, this is a guy who went out into, you know, sub-zero temperatures on a lizard space donkey and <laughs> spent the night in the Arctic, <laughs> spent the night in the literal Arctic to save his friend that he didn't want to be friends with just yeah. two to three years prior. So, you know, that, that relationship develops a lot and very quickly. And it's it's a very special one that I think people don't really... I, I don't know. I don't think people ever really think about the two of them together as much as they should. Like that relationship is is very very much key to this franchise. That's a great point, and I would say some of the most rewarding moments of the of the original trilogy are focused on Han and Luke, mm-hmm. and um, even to the point of you know, in return, you you love him, don't you? It's okay. I get it. When he comes back, I won't get in the way. Like he's he's like there's a Luke's respect a, there. Luke's a better guy than I am. Like yeah. I I get it. I get it. He's a nerdy kid, but he's a he's a good guy and I'm not. Um and to watch that develop is just uh it's a lot of a lot of fun and so <laughs> so rewarding. I I just love that. Where did you dig up that old fossil? I mean, the characters are so real. They're just so realistic. So well written and developed in A New Hope. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite things about this movie. um, That, you know, it is so fantastical. And, you know, it's not realistic at all. You know, we're not going to have, you know, you're not going to have a a giant walking dog knock on your door tomorrow and be like, Hey, want to hop in the spaceship with me? Like it's not going to happen. Jedi Harry, (laughs) but, but it has a certain realism to it. It's not like a movie like, you know, avatar, like it's not, it's a sci-fi movie, but it doesn't really feel like sci-fi. And I think maybe part of that is because of the world, you know, like I said earlier, the world is so it's lived in. You know, it's yeah. it's not pretty and clean like it's it's dirty. It's just kind of dingy and whatever. 
But another part of it is just these characters feel so real and so relatable and they have such such memorable qualities and personalities and everything that it gives these movies a more a, a level of realism that I think a lot of a lot of sci-fi movies and really just movies in general even you know even movies that are meant to be realistic you know don't have you know you can you can watch a movie like say the dark knight which was made to feel like hey this could actually happen and you know that was a focal point of that movie but it's still there's something about it that doesn't still doesn't have the realism that star wars has even with you know lightsabers and flying space dogs and uh cgi lizard creatures walking around the uh the desert city for no reason (laughs) the people act like people i think that's what makes a new hope so great the people act like people exactly um and so follow and, the logic all the way through. And, yeah. and, and so do the robots. And so uh, do the robots. The, the sassy gay robots. And so does the Wookiee. All right. And there we go. We've brought it full circle back to the sassy gay robot. So I'm not going that away. Uh, don't let me catch you following me asking for help <laughs> because you won't get it. All right. So there you have it. That is our first episode on Star Wars A New and, Hope. And, and, Stay tuned. We'll be back with more uh, obviously, next will be Empire Strikes Back, which the best of them all. I was gonna say a lot of people, uh, present company included, called the greatest of the franchise. But we can get into all that next time. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you around. <laughs>